Morning, church. How are we doing today? Good. We are in a sermon series this summer in the book of Colossians. Colossians is a letter written by Paul to a church called Colossae. The title of our sermon series this summer is called Greater Than, and we're looking at uh, the idea, the concept of Christ being greater than anything that we could put our hope in. Christ is sufficient, and Christ is supreme. So this morning, we're going to continue in the introductory portion of Paul's letter to this church in Colossae. We'll be in chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 9, 9 through 14 uh, this morning. So let me read it right off the, right at the start this morning. We're going to read God's Word. So find find in your copy of the Scriptures, and I'll read it for us uh, this morning. Paul writes, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So what we're going to do this morning is we're actually going to take a little bit of time and just break down Paul's uh, prayer this morning. So last week, if, if you are here, you remember, we talked about uh, Paul's thankfulness, his introductory remarks after he sort of introduces himself. He has a, a, a section, a little paragraph there where he lists all the things that he is thankful for as he's talking about God's holy people in Colossae. And now he moves to a section of the, inter, still in the introductory portion of the letter, he moves to the section where he actually uh, says what he's praying for. This is Paul's prayer. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to kind of break down this prayer a little bit. Because what we, what we can learn from this prayer is not only uh, applicable to what was going on in Colossae at the time, but it's applicable to our lives today. Because Paul's prayer, as we, as we read it this morning and as we kind of unpack it this morning, what we're going to actually see is that Paul explains in his prayer the goal of the Christian life. Not only the goal of the Christian life, but the pieces and the processes that go into making up that goal. So Paul prays about the goal he had, the, the goal he has, the goal God has for the people in Colossae. And 2,000 years later, that's the same goal for us today. So we're going we're gonna to start right at the top of Paul's writing this morning. Paul writes that he is consistently praying for the church in Colossae, consistently praying for them ever since he heard about their faith in Jesus and their love for one another. So what does Paul pray for? What's the thing that Paul prays for? It's found in verse 9, right? We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. 
Paul prays that they would be filled by God with the knowledge of his will and wisdom and understanding which is given by the Holy Spirit. So a quick thing that we need to point out here as we start making our way through the text this morning. We need to point out, we need to look at this word fill, all right? First, we need to, we need to pay attention to this word fill. Paul's prayer acknowledges the fact that we are growing and maturing, that we are being filled by the Holy Spirit, that we are being filled by a knowledge of God, all right? So there's this process that Paul is acknowledging here, praying that they would be filled, that there's this ongoing and growing and maturing and filling process in the life of the holy people of God, in our lives as Christians. The truth is that we, as, we, as long as we walk on the earth, we never fully arrive, right? We're constantly growing and maturing and being filled with more and more knowledge of God, more and more of our experience with God fill us with more knowledge of God. We're continually growing in our faith, right? That there's this, this process that goes on in the Christian life. The word for that process, does anybody know the word for that process? Sanctification, all right. It's this big fancy word, right? Sanctification. Basically what sanctification means is that we are growing more and more and more righteous, or more and more and more holy, more and more and more cleansed by God, okay? So there's this moment when we recognize who Jesus Christ is, when he breaks through our hardened hearts, and we realize that that we need a, a Lord and Savior in our lives, and that moment, does anybody know what that moment is called? It's not sanctification, it's justification. Man, this is great. So we are justified at a moment in time well, we move from death to life, and we are justified by God. I, the, the phrase that goes with justified is just as if I'd never sinned, right? We're justified by God. Then we enter this process called sanctification, and this is that filling process, that growing process, that maturing process. And so Paul recognizes that process here. Paul is praying for the church in Colossae, knowing that they have not arrived. And they won't arrive until justification, sanctification, and the final, glorification, right? So Paul is praying that this church in Colossae would grow to be sanctified for that moment when they die or when Jesus comes back, that they will be glorified and spend eternity with him in heaven. So Paul is recognizing this process. Now, sometimes it's important because sometimes we feel like justification is sort of it, and that's enough, right? We, we pray for justification. We pray for people that they would be saved, and, 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 and justification is sort of in, sometimes in our minds the, the goal. And we need to remind ourselves that we need to continually be growing, continually be maturing, that we need to work through, fight through, grow through that sanctification process. The truth is that the prayer that Paul has for the church in Colossae is the exact same prayer that we pray here at Glen Ellen Bible Church for this group of believers, that we would grow, that we would mature, that we would be filled more and more each day with the knowledge of God and what he has done for us, that we'd be filled with that, that knowledge of who God is and what he has done that comes from 
the Holy Spirit. So the second question I have is why? Why does Paul pray this prayer? Why, why do we pray this prayer at Glen Ellen Bible Church for ourselves, for our families, for this body of believers? We can thank Paul because he gives us the answer in verse 10. He prays this prayer so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. This is that goal piece that I was talking about in the beginning. This is the goal of the Christian life. This is the goal that Paul has and he's praying for for the church in Colossae. And it's our goal today that we would live lives worthy of the Lord, worthy of the gospel, and be, be filled with the Holy Spirit, the knowledge of God that Paul is praying for so that we can honor him, glorify him, and please him. Live a life that's worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every way. So when I read words like that, and I think about, man, I, do I live a life worthy of the Lord? Do I, do I live a life that pleases him? Makes me ask the question, well, what, what does that look like? What does it look like to live a life that's worthy of the Lord? Live a life worthy of the Lord and pleases him in every way. What does that look like for us? Again, we can thank Paul because in this passage this morning, Paul gives us really practical things, really practical pieces that make up that goal. If our goal is to live a life worthy of the Lord and our goal is to please him in every way, what does that look like? Paul helps us this morning. He explains it for us. Colossians 1 verse 10. He says the first part, the first piece of achieving that goal or, or, or making up that goal is bearing fruit in every good work. Paul writes that bearing fruit in every good work is part of living a life worthy of the Lord, living a life that is pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. If you've read Paul at all or read any part of Paul's writings in the New Testament, this language is classic Paul, right? The idea of doing good works or bearing fruit or producing something of value for the kingdom of God is all throughout Paul's letters, all throughout his writing. Romans 13, 2 Corinthians 9, Galatians 6, Titus 1, Ephesians 2. He writes about this concept of producing or bearing fruit or working for the Lord, giving our lives as sacrifices to the Lord. All types of things that we can do to produce fruit, to bear fruit in our lives. Church, there's this thoroughly biblical principle, this, this thoroughly biblical idea. It actually starts in Genesis 1, right? God is at work, and his kids are at work. God is at work, and we are at work. There's this thoroughly biblical idea that the people of God, the children of God, that they, they work for the kingdom of God. This, this sanctification process that we talked about earlier, that there's, there's work involved in that, that we aren't just justified and then stop. We work, we bear fruit, we produce for the kingdom of God. God is at work and his kids, his people are at work. 
We don't toil in meaninglessness. We work with a purpose. The work that we do, the things that we do here on earth, they're, they're done to honor God, to work to, to bear fruit. So, so we produce things that glorify him and honor him and his kingdom. Every good work can bear fruit. At the same time, there's this thoroughly unbiblical idea. So there's a biblical idea about work and what we do to produce and bear fruit, and there's an unbiblical idea. Often it's promoted in certain forms of Christianity that that we work not to honor God, not to praise him for what he has done, not to thank him for what he has done in our lives, but instead to try to merit his favor or to try to avoid his judgment and punishment, right? So, So we must behave because if we don't behave, if we don't live righteously, if we don't produce, then something bad is going to happen to us because of who God is. And, and, and he will judge us harshly. Or, or if we do good things, it's like we're, we're holding them out to God and saying, see, God, I did something for you. I'm, I'm good enough, right? I'm worthy enough of your love and your attention and your affection. Church, it's a thoroughly bib- unbiblical idea of why we work, why we produce, why we try to honor God with our lives. We work, we bear fruit because we're called to. We bear fruit because we can't help it. We can't help. We are so thankful for what God has done in our lives, right? We, we look at what our lives were like or would be like without him, and our response is praise. Our response is thankfulness. Our response is to be involved in the work of God in the world. We respond to him out of love for what he has done for us. Not to try to merit his favor or prove our worth or to avoid punishment. We work and we produce and we are involved in kingdom activities out of a a thankfulness for what God has done in our lives. Everybody tracking this morning? All right. Colossians 1 verse 10 also says this. This is the second piece that Paul gives to us this morning that help make up this goal of living to a life worthy of God and pleasing to him. The second piece is growing in the knowledge of God. Growing in the knowledge of God. So bearing fruit in every good work and then growing in our knowledge of God. Now we need to be a little bit careful here because in our culture, in our town, in our in the, in the place that we live, words like knowledge and wisdom and understanding, they have these, some connotations around them, right? If somebody is knowledgeable, it means that they've spent a lot of time reading books, spent a lot of time in academic endeavors. If somebody has great understanding, it's because they sat in a classroom for a long time, right? And they earned a degree or they, they, they did the work of sitting there and processing and writing essays and papers. And they have this, you know, great understanding, this wisdom and knowledge and understanding. We, we immediately, in our context, when we hear words like knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, is we think about academics, right? We think about the academy and the time spent in the classroom and the time spent in books. And so as Paul 
writing here and saying that we all need to go to seminary, we all need to go to graduate school, or we all need to do whatever we can, whatever uh, is possible for us to obtain knowledge, to, to read more, to sit more in a classroom, and, and to understand who God is. To live a life worthy and pleasing to Him means that we would pursue as much academics as we possibly can. I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. Maybe some of you are, are relieved, right? Sitting in a classroom, no thanks. Now certainly, certainly there is something important about learning, right? Certainly there is something important about reading about God and, and reading Scripture to, to understand it more and, and reading books about God and, and sitting at times in a classroom or in a conference to, to learn more about God, but we need to look at this letter and, and who it was written to, right? Does a first century convert in a little city in the Roman emperor have access to that kind of knowledge? I mean, most likely they didn't even have a copy of the scriptures of any kind. And if they did, it was, it was the Torah and it, was, it might have even just been pieces of the Torah. And maybe they had a couple letters from Paul, but they certainly didn't have it in their homes. So I need to be honest, is that I don't think that Paul is telling this church in Colossae to, to uh, achieve more academic understanding by just reading or talking about God. I think that the Colossians grew in their knowledge of God primarily through action. That they grew in their knowledge of God through action. By living by faith, by putting their faith to work through action, by praying prayers, asking God to answer them, by, by doing the work of caring for the poor, by, by stepping out in faith and living sacrificially and giving things away, by praying for, for healing in the lives of the people of God. By talking to their friends and neighbors about this new faith that has come to them. See, I, I believe that we can grow in the knowledge of God through action as well. Again, I, I'm not saying that the academic side isn't important, right? The academic side is very important, but that's not only how we learn about the knowledge. It's not only how we grow in our knowledge of God. We learn about who God is through action and experience as well. When we are involved in things that require us to move in faith, we grow to understand more of who God is. God met me here. When we, when we come into this place and, and, and we raise our hands and we ask God to, to fill us and bless us and we sing praises to him, we experience something about who God is, right? And we, we feel more about more confident in who he is and what he has done in our lives. And, and our knowledge of him grows when our kids are, are sick and we pray to God for healing and we see maybe a miracle in their life. We, we, we grow in our knowledge of God and, and who he is and what he's done. We see him move in our community of faith. So the Colossians are growing in their knowledge of God through action. And we too can grow in our knowledge 
of God through action. Maybe a, a practical, more practical metaphor is helpful for you here. If you think about riding a bike, all right, if you think about riding a bike, and you want to experience bike riding, you want to be a cyclist, you want to balance on two wheels, you want to feel the wind in your hair, you want to feel the strain in your quads and the, the experience of you know, flying down a descent. If you want to have that experience, become a cyclist, you head to the library and you read a bunch of books on the physics of balancing on two wheels. Maybe you pick up Cycling News Magazine and you, you flip through there and you, and you see, oh, wow, this is what it's like to be a cyclist. And then you turn to YouTube and you watch videos of other people riding bikes. And at the end of it, you say to yourself, I am a cyclist. Of course not, right? Nothing could be further from the truth. A friend of mine went to a, a local bike shop just a few weeks ago to get fitted on his bike so that he could have the most comfortable bike riding experience. And they use a bunch of technology to do this. I know I'm, I'm a geek with bikes, okay? But they, they do a bunch of, use a bunch of technology and they can take a video and do these heat mapping things and all this stuff. So my friend walks into the bike shop and he, he's going to spend time with this guy that's going to fit him on the bike. And the first thing the guy does is he says, would you just walk across the room here for a little bit? Just walk across the, the room. I, I want to get a picture of your gait. And then he says, all right, would you, would you hop on the bike for a little bit? And he's on a, a, a trainer that holds your wheel in place so he can pedal his bike. And, he pedals, and the guy kind of walks around and he spends a lot of time looking at his arms and his hands to see how he's gripping the bike. And he looks at his knees and his ankles and how his feet are connected into the bike. And my friend's thinking, you know, I was gonna, he was going to get this, you know, heat map and technologies and videos and everything. And he, he looks at the guy and he goes, it looks like you've done this before. It seems like you know what you're doing just kind of by look and, and feel. And he says, I have 600,000 miles on these legs. I know a thing or two. I mean, that's the guy, right? That's the guy you want fitting your bike. Not the guy that went to the library and read a bunch of books. Not the guy that is a subscriber to Cycling News Magazine and watches YouTube videos. I mean, the guy that's, that's pedaled 600,000 miles. We can grow in our, our knowledge, deep knowledge of God through experience, through walking or pedaling or trudging through life, the 600,000 miles of experience growing in our knowledge of who God is. All right, enough about bikes. The third piece that Paul adds to this process for pleasing God in our lives is found in verse 11. Colossians 1, verse 11. He says, we'll be strengthened by God's might so that we have endurance and, and patience. Strengthened by God's might so you have endurance and patience. I don't know about you, but does that strike you as kind of a, a unique thing to pray for? Endurance and patience. Endurance and patience. Of all the things that Paul could pray for, of all the things that we could ask for 
to be strengthened by God's might. That's what Paul prays for. Strengthened by God's might to endure and have patience. It's, it's unique to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm weird. It, it stands out to me. He, does, he doesn't pray that we'll have strength to have strong and convincing words and arguments for the culture around us. That we would win the battle. That we would have strength to speak eloquently and passionately about the things of God. No, he he prays that we might endure. He prays that the church might endure and have patience. The words endurance and patience are, are somewhat similar, aren't they? Endurance and patience are somewhat similar. Yet when I was thinking about this as I was prepping this week, they're similar, but there's a difference. When I think of endurance, I think of a situation, right? Like we need endurance to get through a situation. Like we endure a race, or we endure a visit to the dentist, or we endure hardships and suffering, right? Like it's a situation that we're in, and we need endurance to get through it. A sickness or an illness or a a hard relationship situation that we need God's, the strength by God's might to give us endurance to get through that situation, to not lose hope, to not lose faith. We need his might, his strength that comes from his might. So endurance, in my mind, and hopefully yours too, has to do with a, a situation where patience, when I think of patience, I think of people. I think of relationships, right? Like the, the phrase like, have patience with me. Or please, please have patience with them. So I think Paul is saying, asking for strength to get through situations, but I think he's also praying for strength to deal with people. Have you ever had to deal with an impatient person? You can ask my wife about what it's like. She has firsthand knowledge of what it's like to spend time with somebody who is perpetually impatient. So strengthened by God to have endurance and patience. Guys, I'm, pre- I'm preaching to myself right now. I am preaching to myself. I need to live a Christian life that is worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him. And I need to grow and mature in my patience, in my endurance. Living a life that's marked by endurance and patience. What if we were... What if we were people of God that were marked by our ability to endure things with hope? And, and what if we were, were people, the people of God were the most patient people on earth with others? What if, what if you were known in your neighborhood as being the patient person? I think that's why Paul prays these things. I, th- I think that's why Paul asked for those things. One is we can't do it on our own, Right? Like, I cannot be patient on my own. I need the strength of the Lord to be patient. And I think Paul knows that if we were, if, if the people of God, the holy people of God, were people that were marked by being people that endured and were patient, that it would make a difference 
as people looked at our lives. It's so countercultural to endure and be patient, isn't it? Man, I'm preaching to myself today. Finally, Paul says that giving joyful thanks to God is this fourth, this, this final piece of living a life pleasing to God. We talk about this a lot here at GBC, and I think it's actually, there's some connection to being endure, having endurance and being patient, is that we would be marked by people that are joyfully giving thanks to God. Joyful thanks to God. Paul closes this section of his letter by noting two specific things that we should be joyfully thankful for. We find those two things in verse 12. Colossians 1 verse 12. Paul writes, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. So the Colossians can give joyful thanks to God because they are now qualified. Qualified. Qualified for what? What are they qualified for? Paul explains that they are now qualified to be a part of the holy people of God. Inheritance. They receive an inheritance as God's holy people, and they are now a part of the kingdom of light. It can be easy for us to kind of just agree with this or, or, or kind of skip over this because it's been 2,000 years since God allowed and God brought in Gentiles into his holy people. See, these, these words, these phrases, inheritance, holy people of God, kingdom of light, these were things that were traditionally reserved for, for Jews, for God's, for Israelites, right? God's chosen people. But through Jesus, now people in Colossae, non-Jews, are qualified, brought into the family of God, part of God's holy people, members, citizens of the kingdom of light. This is the, this is the good news for us as well, that people in Glen Ellen 2,000 years later can be brought into and included into God's holy people, part of the kingdom of light. As we continue and close out the section this morning, we look at verse 13 and 14. There's a contrast here, right? So the kingdom of light is contrasted to what Paul explains here in verse 13 and 14. He says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. And these, this is like, this is the real deal right here that Paul's explaining. Like, this is it. The, these verses explain really directly and succinctly what has happened to Gentiles, what has happened to us, what, what happens in our day. This is the gospel, a succinct explanation of the gospel. So we're to be thankful to God because we are 
qualified. But we are also thankful to God because we have been rescued, we've been brought, we've been redeemed, and we've been forgiven. These are huge concepts that Paul just packs into one verse, right? We are qualified because of Jesus. We are redeemed because of Jesus. Our sins are forgiven because of Jesus. We are rescued. We are pulled out of our sin, the dominion of darkness, and we are brought to the kingdom of light. Is that hitting you this morning? Because of Jesus, we, in this room, we are brought out of the dominion of darkness, death, sin, decay. Jesus grabs us, he picks us up, he carries us over, and brings us to the kingdom of light. Amen! We are rescued. We didn't save ourselves. I didn't make the trip myself. He rescued us because he knows us. He loves us. He wants us included in his holy people. Man, this is good news this morning. We can be redeemed. Our sins are forgiven. We don't wallow in it any longer. We're transferred. The bill has been paid. The ransom that is owed has been paid on our behalf through Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. He's telling this church in Colossae, don't you ever doubt it. Don't you ever doubt it. It's been paid. The ransom has been paid. You are redeemed. Your sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. Transferred, brought out of it, and redeemed. Man, God is good. Church, this morning, we need to recognize that these words to this church in Colossae are the words that we need to hear this morning. We need to let it wash over us. We need to let it inspire us. That hope we talked about last week, that hope will rise up and it will mature our faith. We'll grow in faith and love for each other. Amen. Let's pray. Praise God. Praise God. God, we We praise you for your rescue, for your deliverance, for your redemption, for what you've done in in my life, for what you've done in the lives of people in this room. Man, we're struck this morning, God, by your goodness, your love for us, your saving grace and power. God, I pray as we sing this last song this morning that we'll be moved to, to offer you all the praise and glory for what you have done. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.